All right. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much, Tad. Um, I love this time of year, and I love getting to preach uh, this Sunday often because Matt does the Christmas Eve service, so I grab this one up. So it's a joy to be with you uh, this morning. If you turn uh, your Bibles open to the book of Luke, we are continuing on working through Luke. It's on page 1089. And um, let me ask you as you turn there, if have you ever been on a uh, on a date kind of as a third wheel, you know, kind of along for the ride, or maybe in a in a play where you're just one of the really the side extras? You feel like you're not really uh, as in, real important to the main event. Um, I, I think it's tempting to to look this way on John the Baptist and his story. You know, we know Jesus is the main event, the main person, the main plot of this story. And yet, Luke gives almost as much time to the story of John the Baptist in this retelling of his careful account as he does about Jesus. And so, um, in this passage today, John is born, his father Zechariah breaks out in praise, and it's historically called the Benedictus. From the Latin version of the first line of his song where he blesses God. And so as we look at this story in this song, we see that it really is a significant event. That's what Luke wants us to know. It's not a sideshow. Because through this story we see what it really means to be, what it means to be truly blessed through the birth of Jesus. That's what Zechariah is going to Revealed to us today. So let's look here in Luke 1. We'll read verses 57 through 80. If you'd read with me. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she, gave, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But... His mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through, through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our our father Abraham to grant that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Before him all our days. And you, child, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to give to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray together once more. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have visited us. And though we are aware of this story, very familiar to it, We need to hear your word in a way that impacts us once more, to lay it up in our hearts so that the gospel would resonate and free us from all that enslaves us to bless your holy name and therefore turn and be a blessing to others. Teach us, Lord, this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit what it means to be truly blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what does it mean... To be blessed. What does that really mean? It's a pretty popular um, word to use. Uh, you know, we see it on t-shirts and bumper stickers. Uh, the hashtag blessed is one of the most widely used hashtags in all this whole decade since Twitter came out. Um, I didn't know the kids word. Was, that was not my doing. It's actually hashtag blessed. Um, so... But we use it in all kinds of different ways, right? What does it really mean? Uh, most of the time we use it when we just, we want some, uh, something goes to go well with someone else. Athletes use it when they win um, their athletic event. We use it to wish someone a good day. We bless others in hopes that their sneeze came out okay. Um, I grew up in the South. Uh, we use it um, to bless someone's heart which is usually a sarcastic way of saying we feel sorry for them, right? It's safe to say that blessing uh, maybe has, uh, doesn't have um, much weight or meaning in our culture. It could be used for something as small as finding a good parking spot or some, uh, um, you know, some good bananas on sale. <laughs> One comedian once tweeted to make light of this. He said, Caught a piece of bacon falling from out of my sandwich right before it hit the ground today. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> this is unfortunate in many ways because the Bible gives this word such deep and rich meaning. It's very significant to be blessed by God or to be blessed by a father. Author Gary Smalley once wrote a book with... Um, <clears throat> Another man called The Blessing back in 2011. He identified five common elements in the Bible of being blessed. Things like meaningful touch or personal affection. A spoken message of love and acceptance. A statement of high value and worth. And a picture of a special future with a commitment to see it through. We see this in the beginning of Genesis even. When God blessed Adam and Eve, man and woman, at least three times in this opening two chapters. God created them in his image, giving them a high value with affection, walking with them in the garden. 
and acceptance. And they were given of a, pic- a picture of a special future to be fruitful, multiply, to enjoy God with his commitment to see it through. And of course, we know that in choosing to rebel against God, they lost this blessing. And the rest of the Bible is about God's desire to redeem and save a people to himself and to renew this blessing. And all of us still live with, we have within us this tension, this this longing on the one hand to experience this rich blessing from God and from others like our parents. But if we don't find it from God and others, especially God, we, we look to other things and other people in life to find that blessing. These things and people that rise and fall, things like being healthy or wealthy or winning and succeeding in an event or having a great job or, or a great di- day or even finding good bananas on sale. <laughs> All of us can surely relate with this longing to be blessed as well as the disappointment from not feeling blessed. It could be something as simple as a frustrating job or some of the trials of raising small children or caring for elderly parents. But it also could be for you something much more uh, deep like um, maybe never having heard your parents uh, speak that kind of blessing into your life show you that kind of acceptance, give you that kind of worth, show you that kind of affection. And definitely not have a commitment to fulfill this special calling in your life. And whatever the case is, this passage from the birth of John to Zechariah's hymn of blessing not only gives us a picture of what it means to be truly blessed, but it gives us the hope that we too can be truly blessed, no matter what our past or current circumstance is. So we're going to look at that. What does it mean to be truly blessed? The first thing is to be captivated by God's mercy. To be captivated by God's mercy. So let's pick up with our story here. We see that it's time for Elizabeth to give birth. Her neighbors and her relatives hear that baby John has been born. And they show, start showing up and rejoicing with her. It says in verse 58 that they heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her. The Lord had shown great mercy. You know what that really means? <clears throat> it means the Lord had magnified or, or enlarged his mercy. That's what that word means, to show great mercy. It's magnified. I remember when I was in about third or fourth grade, um, I went to a local university where I was living. And uh, this local university had a giant telescope. And I remember walking into that uh, room, and this telescope basically filled up the whole room. I mean, it was huge. And I remember looking through it at these, where these small things like the moon and planets, I could almost not even see, they, they became very large, massive through this lens. And it was, it was awe-inspiring. It was incredibly beautiful. And this doesn't mean this telescope, right? It, it, it didn't make these things large, right? I know that's obvious. No, the telescope was just simply a means or a vehicle through which it made something already very large, um, where, we, where I could really see it for what it was, where I could be captivated by it, by its beauty. See, people are starving to be captivated by big things, big and beautiful things. 
It's why people are um, lining up to pay big money to go to space these days. It's why we explore deep oceans and deep caves. It's why we buy not just high-def TVs, but ultra-high-def, right? Anybody get one of those for Christmas? You have to raise your hand. Um, when I walk by one of those in BJ's, you know, I mean, it's like, all of a sudden, I mean, you know the OLED, high-def, massive, like 85-inch or whatever they have in Costco or BJ's? You, I could just stop and stare at a piece, you know, a drop of water falling off of a fruit in slow motion, right? I mean, have you ever done that? It's just like, I've never been captivated by a drop of water falling off a fruit before. And here it is, I mean, in, in real life. Um, but these these friends and relatives that had come to Elizabeth's um, you know, delivery here, they're, they're not saying that God's mercy was small and now that it's it's made large. No, they're saying his mercy's always been large and now through this event it's being brought near so they can see it and be captivated by it. The first thing that they were captivated by is God's mercy in allowing an elderly woman who had been infertile all her life to have a baby boy. What an amazing mercy by God. And then came the unexpected mercy of Zechariah speaking again. They had all gathered this eighth day uh, to circumcise the child in obedience to God's Old Testament law. Probably Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, they were gathered at their house to do this, and it was going to be performed by Zechariah. Personally glad this tradition has not continued. Um, and it seemed obvious to all that they would call him Zechariah. That's the dad's name. That's what was traditional. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe someone in the room even spoke up and said that when Elizabeth said with authority, no, his name is actually John. Now, this was super confusing to them. Nobody in their family was named John. So they thought maybe childbirth, some of the Demerol was having its effect. Um, Let's ask the father. So they asked Zechariah. He grabs a, a pad, a writing pad, and he says, his name is John. And verse 64 says, immediately, immediately his mouth was opened and he spoke. His first words were worship, blessing God. In verse 65, he says, they they were filled, everyone in the room was filled with fear. They weren't scared. You know what they were? They were captivated. It was completely awe-inspiring. The mercy of God on display brought near And they went out to tell everyone around them something huge is happening and something big is being brought near because we just saw it. And I think it's good for us to pause and consider how God's blessing often comes near to us. Often through similar means sometimes. You know, I don't mean, you know, the means of a family gathered around a circumcision. I mean how life's difficulties and sometimes even God's discipline become vehicles to bring God's mercy near. Zechariah was deaf. He's mute for nine or ten months. They probably resigned to the fact that he would never speak or hear again. This surely had huge consequences on their family. He was a priest. He probably couldn't perform his duties. 
And yet, through this discipline and difficulty, with months of slowing down, of spending time in God's Word, his doubt had evaporated. Verse 67 says, He was now full of the Holy Spirit. And his song of praise shows that he was captivated by God's mercy. In verse 72, he says, The mercy of God that's promised to our fathers. Verse 78, he says, The tender mercy of God has been brought near. And we live in such a fast-paced, technologically screen-driven, filled world. <laughs> and in the midst of this, it is, it's not uncommon for God's mercy to seem small. You know what I mean by that? I mean, it's, you know, we know it's not. But we just don't see it. We don't taste it in high definition. It can be really hard to slow ourselves down and want that. A season of difficulty or the Lord's discipline just might be the vehicle, the telescope through which he slows you down and brings his great mercy near to you. And it is when our hearts are captivated, not with a shallow-like feeling, life is good today, but rather a deep-rooted, worshipful, God's mercy is great. It is near to me that we shall find ourselves feeling truly blessed. So first, what it means to be truly blessed is to be captivated by God's mercy. Next, Comforted with God's presence. So Zechariah, he can now talk again. And he, he begins talking with this outburst of praise, which is recorded in verse 68 through 79. And in several ways, the theme, one theme that emerges is he's amazed by the presence of God drawing near to his people. You see that immediately in verse 68. Look there. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. You know, we just got done studying the book of Ruth. We get a picture of what it means to be a redeemer, where Boaz takes on the, this role as redeemer by moving himself, the pre, his presence, into the lives of Ruth and Naomi in order to rescue them from destitution and poverty. And verse 78 and verse 79 says all this is happening because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. The sunrise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You know, darkness was a pretty big deal in that time. Um, you know, there's no street lights outside. Uh, traveling at night was very dangerous. Because of wild animals, uh, potential robbers. Um, darkness, I still don't love darkness. <laughs> I, I can remember um, in, in Mississippi, I, I, I used to hunt a decent amount. And I, I'd go out really early in the morning and uh, when it was dark or in the, in the nighttime in the woods. Um, when, it was, when I was leaving the woods, it was pitch black. And I'll admit, I often felt fear, um, even with a flashlight. But I can remember one time... When I was in the woods, deep in the woods, and my, my flashlight battery went out and my phone battery went out at the same time. Now, um, it was just pure darkness. The woods were thick. I could not see any light coming in. And um, I was not only without light, but I was without a GPS. 
So I had no clue how to get out of the woods. My options were, and I seriously started considering them, I could just lay down and wait and sleep there, try to sleep and just, you know, try to, and then wait until light comes in the morning, or slowly walk through the woods, because I couldn't see hardly two steps in front of me, and, and just start walking the general direction I thought was right, and until I heard something or saw something. I decided to do that, uh, and with all the, the creepy little animal noises all around me, I crept through the woods for several hours until I finally heard a car. One of the most terrifying experiences of my life. But it makes me ponder in verse 79, why are some just sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death? Why would anybody just sit down in darkness? The answer must be, it has to be, that they don't know where else to go. They don't have light. They're without a GPS. To tells them, to, they might tell them how to find light, how to get out of the darkness. And, and they might be there for several reasons, right? Some might just be unbelief. Some sit in darkness just because of unbelief. The Apostle John says that light, speaking of Jesus, has come into the world, but pe- people just love the darkness rather than the light. And so they sit in the darkness. Many friends and family and neighbors that we know sit in darkness because they find more blessing in, in people and things of this world rather than in the presence of God. Second Corinthians 4 says that the God of this age has actually blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they might not see the light of the glory of Christ. And so many sit in darkness because of unbelief. But Christians sit in darkness as well. And some of this simply is because of sin or idolatry that Stephen spoke of. That it might be enslaving us. Maybe it's because of daily fight of ongoing sin. Like just, just pride. Pride in my own heart and selfishness. I experience all the time wanting to prioritize myself above those around me that I'm called to honor above myself. But for some, it even goes as far as just unrepentant sin. A hidden sin that's just too hard to let go of. You feel it has too much power over you. And you know unrepentant sin can take you to darker places than you ever imagined it would take you. And for some, it just may feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're sitting in darkness because you don't know, uh, you don't even know why. I talked with someone this week. Excuse me one second. Try this again. All right. I talked to someone this week who told me that they feel this way. They just feel like God is far off and that they don't have the motivation. Uh, they don't have any desire to move towards God. It's hard to read their Bible. It's hard to even go to church. Uh, like who of us can't relate with that even sometimes? Just feeling stuck. And for some, it's sitting in darkness because of season of suffering. I mean, um, you know, Elizabeth was infertile for 20 or 30 years thinking, I'm not going to have a son. I'm not going to have a daughter. For God's people is 400 years of silence at this point. No prophet, no miracles, no king, and no Messiah to save them from Roman oppression while in their land. To these and all of us who feel, maybe you this morning can relate with one of those or somewhere else, you just feel like you're sitting in darkness. How needed, how valuable is light? 
verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. To give light. It was a prophecy almost directly from Isaiah 9-2, where light is symbolic for the presence of God. Moving into the darkness. This was more than a GPS showing a way out of darkness. This was, this was light and hope breaking through and entering into the darkness. The same chapter of Isaiah, a few verses later, shows, shows the source of this light. It says, For unto us a child is born, and will be given to us. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Two chapters earlier, it refers to him as Emmanuel, God with us. God himself would visit us, Zechariah is saying. He's saying, by the way of his son, being born into darkness, namely, talking about Jesus, he would not be overcome by darkness. He would, of course, be without sin, but he would be like a sunrise, visiting us from on high, bringing light into our darkness. In other words... Jesus is a light to those who sit in unbelief. And if you are here and you just know in your heart you have not received the light of what Jesus is and has done for you, we're so glad you're here, as already been stated. And we hope that you feel like you can belong to this church before you believe. But we also long for you to experience this light of trusting Jesus Maybe even for the first time. Ephesians 5.14 gives us exhortation and a promise to you. It says, awake sleeper from the dead. Arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. He can and will bring light. Fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore in the presence of God into your life. He's also light for us who are overwhelmed by sin. Able to break the powerful chains of unrepentant sin. Verse 77 says, Jesus was born into the world for the salvation of his people. This includes absolute forgiveness of those not-so-hidden sins before God. He's light for those who feel stuck. Second Peter 1.19 says that listening to God's word, like you are this morning, hearing it by faith, is like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So receive even now the rays of grace that can awaken that desire for God. Awaken the, mo- the motivation to move towards Him. Jesus is light for those who are suffering. Whatever, whether it's underlying or subtle suffering from deep, um, from deep, a deep woundedness, ongoing woundedness in your life, maybe from your childhood or past relationship, or more kind of a blatant in-your-face circumstance going on in your life. God wants to guide your feet, he says in verse 79, into the way of peace. As peace and healing might not come from the immediate removal from that circumstance or relationship, but rather the comfort of God's presence moving into your life. Verse 78, 78 says, it says that God does all this because of his tender mercy. You know, tender there means, it means the inwardmost parts. It means the organs. He's speaking of the, in, the entrails inside of us. That's how that word is normally used in the Bible. It means, metaphorically, a deep sense of empathy, a feeling of affection for you. In other words, it's, it's one thing to see a TV commercial with hungry, 
children on TV and, you know, maybe feel sorry for them and you send them some money. It's another thing to actually visit a place like we did in going to Haiti this summer where you get to know these children and you develop a sense of compassion, of affection for them. But you know, it's still another thing to become like one of them, to enter into where they live and suffer as they suffer. God visited us because of his tender mercy for you and me. A child was born in order to become like us and to suffer for us on the cross, all because of his tender mercy, his affection towards you. So at the same time, God, who is able to speak a word in the beginning, who said, light shall come out of darkness, is able to shine deep into our hearts and give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. All from his presence moving into our lives. Would you receive that this morning? When light, the light of the presence of God moves in into our lives, it brings comfort wherever darkness may be and light. And this is what it means to be truly blessed. Lastly, Aside from being captivated by God's mercy and comforted by God's presence, to be blessed means to be crowned with God's strength. To be crowned with God's strength. I get this from verse 69. And I kind of, to be honest, wanted to end my sermon with two points. um, But I couldn't get over this word and what he meant here um, in verse 69, where this child to be born would not only be a light, but be a horn. (laughs) I was like, well, what does that have to do with being blessed here. Throughout the Old Testament, horns of an animal represented its, um, its strength and its honor. A, a picture of huge horns on a, a big ox, or even the tusks of an elephant. They use the same word. Horns would show the, the animal's ability to defend itself as well as to attack and triumph over other animals, Represent, representing its strength, its honor, it's, um, it's victory over other animals. An animal with, on the other hand, whose horns were cut off was an animal, it was a sign of weakness. Uh, it was vulnerable. It was defenseless. It's shameful. And when Zechariah says this child would be born as a horn of salvation, a horn of salvation, he's saying that this will be not just a meek and little mild child (laughs) but he will be a strong and victorious conqueror that this child will grow up and be clothed with honor one day and he he goes on to say he will conquer our enemies and accomplish our salvation let me just just give two ways i think we need this strength one is just strength to receive this blessing because see zechariah i mean he doubted even being a priest he doubted even with this an angel being in front of him. Hey, this is what's going to happen to you. He's like, and he's like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> um, in the same way, isn't it easy? I mean, in that kind of circumstance, you've got to believe that it's understandable why we would doubt some of the things that God has promised us. So, for example, when you read in Ephesians 1, when he says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus... Who among us, show of hands, lives day in and day out feeling as though you've just been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? Just feeling blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus today? I don't feel that at all times. It's just hard to believe. 
It's easy to live discouraged and defeated, like our horns are cut off. It's easy to doubt God's tender mercy towards us. It's easy to doubt that we're truly forgiven. It's easy to live in shame of past failures or current ones. And then to to just cover it up with our own accomplishments. You know, like those reindeer horns you put on at Christmas parties probably already this year. See, don't you sometimes feel like, oh, well, I just got to cover it up. I'm going to grow my own horns. I'm going to project my own honor and my own strength, deriving it from myself in a sense of, you know, we really know it's not there. But that's what I want to project. And Zechariah grows here. He moves from doubt to being so strong with faith that Jesus is a strong and victorious horn of salvation. It doesn't have to come from him. He's so sure of it. In verse 68, he says, he speaks of what Jesus is going to do in the past tense. See it? Blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation. This hadn't even been born yet. He said, he's already done this. Verse 72 and 73 shows his assurance is not in his performance, but in God's promise. See, God made an oath, a promise to Abraham that it is the work of his son to make us holy and righteous so that we can serve God without fear. All blessings have come and will come in your life through Christ, not in yourself. And so through faith in Jesus, this horn of our salvation, we are crowned with such strength to receive all the blessings we have in Christ. But then lastly, strength to bless others. Strength to bless others. Because in the same way Adam and Eve and Abraham in the beginning were blessed with this purpose of being a blessing, they're showing a, that to be truly blessed, it, it, it means to be so filled with the blessing of God that you turn outward. To bless others. And sometimes this is a natural overflow of being blessed, right? For Zechariah and Elizabeth's friends and neighbors, they didn't have to be forced to do this. They're so captivated by God's mercy, by what happened before them, by God's presence being drawn near, that they just naturally went out and, and told everybody about it. But sometimes it's a supernatural strength to be a blessing. So for old doubting Zechariah, he was... It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit to pour out this blessing. And Luke loves that term. He, he uses it throughout, the work, throughout Luke and the book of Acts when he writes it. He says, anytime the Holy Spirit moves into a place, onto a person, weakness changes to strength and God does something powerful. And so I just want to pause, or finish, conclude rather, as we think about this Christmas week before us. I want you to think about an area of potential weakness in your life. Where do you feel like you don't have strength to receive God's blessing or to pour it out? I imagine there's opportunities to be around people this week where we feel like I'm not going to have what it takes to pour out. I'm just going to try to bear it up. And I want to encourage you to grow strong in faith. You have a strong horn of salvation. And you also have the same Holy Spirit that fills Zechariah. And that God can give you the strength, the energy, the salvation that's been accomplished in your life to pour out, to so fill you up, to pour out into the lives of those around you. And when you feel so strengthened, 
to bless others like that when out of something you don't have that's being poured into you. Having been captivated by God's mercy and comforted by his presence, crowned by his strength, and then to pour it out, you'll find yourself truly blessed. Let's pray. Our gracious God who is in heaven, glory and praise be to your holy name. As you have come to us, a child being born who died on a cross, who was risen on the third day with great power and majesty and glory, having conquered forever our enemies and our sin. We pray, Lord, we would not grow weak in believing what has been accomplished for us in receiving the person given to us of Jesus Christ so that we may truly be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.